First Peter chapter four. Um, the whole book of First Peter is about suffering. Last week it was identifying with the resurrection in suffering, as Jesus suffered. This is identifying with Christ in suffering. I mean, the whole book is 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 just. Peter is, is communicating to these Christians that were just, because of their faith, they were scattered all over the region, and they thought that maybe they were doing something wrong because they were going through difficulty, where it's usually the opposite. If we're going through difficulties, many times it's because we are Christians and not necessarily because we're doing something wrong all the time. And so we have to understand that God is able to do incredible things in the midst of our suffering, having an eternal perspective as opposed to a temporal or earthly perspective, is what God wants for us. And through the difficulties that come into our lives, that's kind of what what begins to happen. We get our eyes on the right thing. You know, we get our eyes back on the Lord oftentimes when difficulties come into our lives. If life is smooth sailing all the time, a lot of times we kind of just forget, unfortunately, about the Lord. And so the Lord isn't bringing this evil or this wickedness or this suffering in our lives, but he is allowing it, but he can do something through it. And so there's a lot that Peter is able to communicate through this epistle. And so 1 Peter chapter 4, let's read verse 1 and then we'll see how that's an introduction to what we covered last time. Verse 1 says, Therefore, since Christ suffered for us in the flesh, arm yourselves also with the same mind, for he who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. Jump back to chapter 3, verse 18. I'll read it to you. It says, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive by the Spirit. And so Jesus suffered, and we're in good company when we suffer, when we go through difficulties. And so Jesus suffered for righteousness. He didn't suffer because he did anything wrong. There's times that we suffer because we're just sowing what we've, or reaping what we've sown, right? We've sown seeds, and then all of a sudden, sometimes things, uh, a harvest crops up, and we're like, whoa, where did this come from? Well, you, you planted all that back there in your life, and so now you have a harvest. But even when we don't, as Christ here, God has a purpose in it. And the purpose is to bring others to himself. And so last week we looked at the section where um, we want to give to every man an answer of the hope that lies within us with gentleness and meekness. When? When they ask. And when will they ask? They'll ask when they look at your life and they see, wow, you don't, you're not doing it like everyone else does it. Like when, when this happens to everyone else, this is how they react. So a natural reaction to a given set of circumstances. There's something different. And the difference is, there's something supernatural. That's not natural. That's a supernatural response. How come you're not freaking out? Or how come you're not cussing me out? Or how come you're not kicking and screaming? Or how come you're not all of the things, right, that the world does as they go through difficulties? When they see our lives as Christians, we can use that. God can use that as a witness, as a light, as a testimony. You know, I don't know. I'm just... I got something different going on. God is just somehow he's sustaining me. God is with me. God is, he's giving me what, man, I didn't know I had, to be honest with you. This is something that I'm even surprised myself that this is happening. Then we looked at that very strange scripture last time where it talked about Jesus going, let me read it because, where 
where was it? He went to prison, right? It says, where is it? Let's see. Um, by whom he went and preached to the spirits in prison who formerly, this verses 19 and 20 from last week, uh, who formerly were disobedient when once the divine long suffering waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared in which a few, that is eight souls, were saved through water. And so we talked about Jesus going to the center of the earth, to Hades, to the holding tank, to Abraham's bosom. Luke chapter 16, where the rich man and Lazarus and that whole thing. And so we broke that down, talked about that. So maybe you've heard, Jesus went to hell. Well, well, yeah, no, Jesus went to Hades. He went to the place of the dead, the abode of the dead. He went to Abraham's bosom, where the dead that were waiting for Jesus to resurrect. And then Jesus would go down and take them to heaven with him. Ephesians 4, Luke 16, Genesis 6. We looked at all of that last week. And so we were able to break that down. And so again, in verse one, he's saying that we have ceased from sin. Isn't that crazy? Have you ceased from sin? No. Ceased from sin. It says it right there. Here, let me read it to you again. Let's not confuse the Bible. Verse one, therefore, since Christ suffered for us in the same mind, for he who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. Wow. What does, what does that mean? Because I struggle, um, like maybe once last, uh, you know, 2016. No, every day, every day, struggling. What? What does that mean, right? What are your thoughts? Ceased from sin. We don't know. Anybody? Theologians. <coughs> All right, let's break that down. Whoa, we better. Uh, Has ceased from sin. The perfect tense of the verb emphasizes a permanent, eternal condition free from sin. So the Bible says in Ephesians chapter 2 that when we were dead in trespasses and sins, God made us alive to himself. So we no longer function the way we used to function. Now, of course we sin. First John chapter 1 says, He who says he has no sin deceives himself, and the truth is not in him, right? But if we do sin, and we confess that sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Jump on, hold your place in First uh, Peter 4. We're going to come back. But jump on over to First John's epistle with me, chapter 3, and we'll see exactly a parallel scripture that is telling us exactly what he's referring to. 1 John chapter 3. We're going to look at verses 4 through 9. 1 John chapter 3, verses 4 through 9. Let me read it to you. 1 John chapter 3, verses 4 through 9. Whoever commits sin also commits lawlessness, and sin is lawlessness. And you know that he was manifest to take away our sins, and in him there is no sin. Whoever abides in him does not sin. Whoever sins has neither seen him nor known him. Little children, let no one deceive you. He who practices righteousness is righteous, just as he is righteous. He who sins is of the devil, for the devil has sinned from the beginning, For this purpose, the Son of God was manifest that he might destroy the works of the devil. 
Whoever has been born of God does not sin, for his seed remains in him, and he cannot sin because he has been born of God. The context and the way that the words are set up in 1 John chapter 3 here, it's speaking of habitually practices sin. As a Christian, we no longer habitually practice sin. In other words, before I became a Christian, I just sinned. I couldn't help it. It was just something that was very natural. But I noticed when I gave my life to the Lord, I would sin and there would come this conviction, this like, ah, oh, Lord, I'm breaking your heart. Like, oh, this just doesn't feel the same way. There's something about it that just, oh. I always give this example. It's kind of gross and I don't know what you guys think, but kind of like maybe if a guy kissed his sister. It's like you look at your sister and like, oh, she's kind of pretty. Let me kiss. Oh, oh, that wasn't, oh, that wasn't right. Oh, okay. That was wrong. That just felt, oh. That wasn't normal. Oh, what's wrong with that, right? That's kind of, like, that's, a, that's a crude uh, example for, for a Christian. But there's something about sin. We no longer habitually practice sin. Do we stumble in sin? Do we struggle with sin? Yeah, until we go home to be with God. But God is doing this crazy supernatural work from the inside out, and he's convicting us of the things that we're doing in word, thought, and deed. It's not just the things we do. It's the very things we think and the things that come out of our mouth, okay? So as we're growing, God is maturing us. As we're sitting under the word, our faith is growing. We're understanding what's right and what's wrong. And God is doing this supernatural work from the inside out. And no longer are we habitually practicing sin. When God looks at us in Christ, he sees us righteous, perfect. Because of our righteousness, because of our perfection? No, because we're found in Christ. He's like our filter. So God sees us through the lens of Christ, through the filter of Christ, and our sins are covered. They're forgiven. They're taken care of. But on a practical end, he's growing us up. He's maturing us. So we'll struggle with sin until we go home to be with God. But you'll notice you sin less. So you're not sinless without sin, but you sin less. As you mature and grow and develop, You'll sin less and less and less. And here's the weird thing. You'll sin less and confess more. Because as you get closer to God, you see your sinfulness in light of his holiness. It's a trippy thing. It's like, oh, man. So something before where you were struggling big time, the Lord is giving you victory in that area. Doesn't mean that you have victory in all your areas. Okay. But as you're participating with God, as you're letting him, yielding, surrendering to him, He's doing this work, and you're like, Lord, I just, man, I just want to participate. I don't want to fight you, God. I don't want to resist you. Can we as Christians resist God? Yeah, we can. And what happens? We get beat up. And we're like, God, you're mad at me. Like, God's not, like, I'm not mad at you. I'm madly in love with you. I done told you, if you stick, if you stick the knife in the fire, in the socket, right, in the electrical socket, bad things are going to happen. You're going to get hurt. It's going to sparkle. And the enemy lies to you. He's like, oh, do this. It'll be so warm on your hand. It'll feel so good. And you're like, it will, it will. Yeah, yeah. And you're going to see it's going to sparkle. And it's going to, like, it's going to light up, bro. It's going to light up. And you're like, oh, let me try it. Let me, oh, my gosh. God said I shouldn't do this. But, okay, all right. And it does it, right? And then you're like, oh, shoot, it was warm for a little while. But, oh, that hurt. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Oh, Oh, man, I got to go to the doctor. Yeah, that's not good, right? 
And God's like not punishing you. Your sin is punishing you. Your sin is punishing you. God told you what sin is. And you chose to disobey God and do it. And now it's like, oh, I got to go get this fixed. God was punished for you. You will never, ever, as a Christian, be punished for your sin. You'll be disciplined, chastened, spanked, but you'll never be punished for your sin. Jesus was punished on our behalf. So that's the idea of that we have ceased from sin. We no longer walk in habitual sin. And if we are currently walking in habitual sin, a big gigantic question mark should be raised in our spirit and we should say, why? Am I convicted and resisting God's conviction? Or am I calloused? Is my heart grown so hard that I no longer feel the conviction of God? Or, God forbid, do I even know God? Is God dwelling within me? If I can habitually practice sin and not have any conviction, is the Holy Spirit really dwelling in me? Because the Bible saying, is saying that I've ceased from sin. Doesn't mean that we won't stumble. Doesn't mean that we won't make mistakes. Doesn't mean that we won't fall. But it does mean that habitual sin is not something like when we were unsaved. Okay? Any questions on that verse? It's a good verse. A little deep little... Seasons of addiction. I think we could have seasons of addiction. Whether it's food or substances or... Smoke, lying, anything, yeah. Chocolate chip cookies. That is not included in that category. Hold on. So, so, hold on. So, Angel asked a question that, like, would Jesus see us in a sin again, a sin that we're struggling with again, and kind of just like, oh, look at this one. I don't think so. The Bible declares that God's mercies are new every morning. Um, I, don't under, I don't think we truly understand and comprehend what grace is. I mentioned that our true response to grace will be a life that's disciplined. Because as we respond to grace, we are grateful for His grace. We begin to walk in obedience to what He's, do, what he's calling us to do. And our lives become actually more disciplined as we're responding to grace. What happens? God continues to flood us with grace so that we can continue to do the things he's calling us to do. And it's this crazy thing of just, wow, my life is just really centered, focused, and disciplined. Why? God is doing it supernaturally in and through me. Philippians 2, 12 and 13. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who is at work in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. Do you, so if you're continuing to sin, are you... Uh, I mean, it gives you grace, <coughs> but are you, can, are you, do you stunt your growth at that point? Absolutely. Absolutely. Sin price tag is death. Death to dreams, death to goals, death to objectives. You know, the potential of what God has for us, I think, is, in my opinion, with all of the attributes of God, I think the, 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 the thing that I just, I, um, makes me the saddest for God is he knows the potential of each one of us and how we resist and resist and resist. And he's like, ah, oh, I had so much for you, but you don't want it. Like he's just, I got it, I got it, here it is. I got, oh, oh, I can't. 
I can't bless you. I can't bless you in that state. You're not participating with me. I can't give you the impression that I'm going to bless your mess. I don't want to send the wrong message. And so the potential of God, what God wants to do in for us, I think he just probably sits there and he's like, that might make him ring. You had a question, Lorraine? Did I answer it? Okay. So, um, so say somebody finds themselves in a situation where they're, where they're in sin, like maybe they've gotten addicted to prescription meds or alcohol. You know, how do they get out of it? I can't remember the name of the guy I was reading about today, some famous guy. And he got her, um, the doctor put him on prescription meds and he got addicted to it and he was stuck. Yeah. I can't remember his name. How do you get out of that? Yeah, because like, things like that, like alcohol, prescription drugs. Yeah, yeah, drugs, any addiction. Illegal drug is, it's got you. Yeah. I put, I put um, you know, it's not always good, but I put two different categories on that. One, there's root stuff that you haven't dealt with that leads to addiction. Because a lot of times, here's what we do as Christians. We deal with fruit. Fruit of sin. Okay, I got an apple tree. Oh my gosh, look at those apples. Sin. I got to take them apples off. I take the apples off. Whew. All right, I fixed it. I cleaned it. I'm good. Look at it. No apples. No sin to speak of. And then next season, I get a crop. There's a bunch of apples on the tree. Oh my gosh, where'd that come back? I got apples on the tree again, and I got to pull all those apples off. You're dealing with the fruit of sin. And so you look good for a little while, but you haven't dealt with the root. So I think for a lot of us, to be honest with you, upbringing, stuff that's taken place, there's a lot of root things that we have to deal with. A lot of things that we don't want to be vulnerable to, because being vulnerable hurts. So somewhere we were hurt, we become vulnerable. Oh, God, I'd rather just pretend. Let me play the game. I'm dealing with the fruit of sin. Look, I took care of it, God. Look, I did it. And God's like, ah, but you're not dealing with the root. Give me the root. Surrender it to me. Hold it up to me. Watch what I can. I can heal it. And then you're going to have fruit to righteousness, right? Okay. So I, I put people a lot with addiction in, in one of those two categories. Some people do just, they, they slip, like they hurt your back. And you got medicine. Now you got Oxycontin. Is that the name? Oxycontin. Okay, now you got, and I, I know, because I know that she works at a hospital. <laughs> right, remember when we were, remember, yeah, no. So, like, yeah, before you know it, you find yourself, man, this is comfortable, yeah, I feel relaxed, this feels good, dang, no pain, woo, and then before you know it, you are addicted. So that's a different, that's a whole different state, and I think with that, that's, believe it or not, that's an easier state to get out of than the person that has root issues that they haven't dealt with, hurts and pains that they haven't dealt with in their life, because you're going to medicate over and over. It's just going to, different day, different high, different drug, different, different sex, pornography, drugs, alcohol. Shopping. Shopping, okay. So, so on and so forth. Things that will meet the, it's almost like cutting, you know. It gets you off of the, the deep pain, and it causes you to focus on something that's less painful because you don't want to go to the root. Okay? So I put it in two categories. Some people really struggle with, like Ben Affleck. <laughs> yeah. Like, how many times has he, like, been in rehab, and then he's okay for a little while, and then he goes right back at it again? So the thing is with addiction, and what I can add on to this, is that once you mm-hmm. release the monkey off your back, like, let's say you've been clean for three or four years, 
And then it's just one decision. It's just, a, you know, it's a decision. I'm going to open my Bible. It's a decision to drink. It's just one decision. And then the monkey's back on your back. And so you're continually fighting to get it off again. Does God eventually give you up to the sin? Um, there's a sin in 1 John that says, don't pray for people who are committing this sin that leads to death. And some people have wondered what that sin might be. I believe that that's a high-handed sin. I don't believe that that's a struggle sin. I believe that's a, oh yeah, God, I'm doing it. I belong to you. What are you going to do? That's what I'm going to do. I'm going to bring you home, you know, kind of thing. So I don't think so. I think as long as we are open to acknowledge I'm weak. I need you. Lord, can you help me? Can you? Ah, I'm just, I keep struggling in the same area. I think God is just right there every time, every time, not giving up on us. But the minute we begin to say, God, you're gracious. You're going to forgive me. And oh, well, what are you going to do about it? Ooh, that's a, that's a whole different state of the heart. And so when we reach that point, oh, if you read the Old Testament, you'll see High-handed sin to God, he dealt with an entirely different way than he dealt with individuals who can acknowledge in humility, God, I'm weak. Man, look at I'm here again. And he's there to receive you, to forgive you, to give you grace, to give you love. But when you reach the point of, what are you going to do about it, God? I'm sure you won't want to do about it. That's a different, that's a different level. Oh, we. He said, he said, I told him, I said, if you're going to do lukewarm, God's going to pick you out. And he told him, look at that and said, bring it. And God brought it. I vacillate between the losing salvation thing. Um, some people will say that it's the, it means the same thing. In my heart of hearts, I don't think you're going to lose your salvation. I think you're going to walk away from your salvation. I don't think you lose it. Um, if you are going to lose it, you walked away from it. Um, those people, as Brian and I have talked about, they, they never had it to begin with. If you're going to walk away from the best thing that ever happened to you in life, then you never had it to begin with. You don't even know what salvation is. You might have been religious. You might have went to a, a church for a little bit, but maybe you didn't really know God in the depth of being born again and tasting and seeing that he is good because there's nothing better than God. There's nothing better than God. Go ahead, Brian. I think um, God's not surprised when we do the things we do. When Peter was going to deny him, he told Peter, he already knows. And so in Hebrews 4, 15 and 16, it says, God understands our weaknesses. He knows we're weak. He knows we're going to mess up. He says he can sympathize with the weak. He understands. It's not like he knows we're weak and we're going to mess up. But then it says, therefore, come boldly to the throne of grace, that you may see mercy and grace to help in our time of need. So that's the answer. He knows we're going to mess up. So it's not like he's like, I can't believe you did that. He's like, I knew you were going to do that. Now come to me yeah. and receive grace and mercy and help in your time of need. Again. When we're addicted, we have to come boldly to the throne of grace and receive that grace and mercy in our time of need to be set free from and we'll find that the, the grace, as the Bible teaches, is our strength. The grace of God, 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1, says His grace is our strength. And so we find this incredible, wonder-working thing that God is doing supernaturally. The enemy lies to us through condemnation and says, How dare you even approach God? The Holy Spirit says, I'm just convicting you so that you can come to your source where you can find help. 
The place that you're supposed to come is to God. Yeah, but you don't even know how many times I've done this. Come again and again and again to find grace in time of help and need. I think of Matthew 11, come to me all you who labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. I am I'm meek, I'm lowly, right? Jesus says, and I will give you rest. And so hopefully when we are convicted, whether it's the 172nd time in that day or whether it's the first or second time, we can continue to come to God and acknowledge our weakness. Because what does God want to do in that weakness? Paul said, in my weakness, I am made strong. Why? So that God would get the glory. So in our weakness and humility, we acknowledge, Lord, I can't. I've tried. I want to. And then God does it supernaturally to God be the glory. He gets the glory, not us. Well, yeah, I just white knuckled it. I just pulled my sleeves up and I just got serious one day. And shut up. You humbled yourself. You recognize you were weak and God strengthened. He, he strengthened through you. <laughs> you know, he gets the glory. We don't get the glory. And so it's not about us. It's about him. Cool. Thank you, Brian. All right. Let's begin to wrap it up. Verse two. that he should no longer or he no longer should live the rest of his life in the time in the in the flesh for the lust of men but for the will of God and then he explains it for we have spent enough of our past lifetime in doing the will of the gentiles gentiles is a non-believer it's it's a synonym for non-believer when we walked in lewdness lust drunkenness revelries drinking parties and abominable idolatries in regards to these, they, they think it's strange that you do not run with them in the same flood of dissipation, speaking evil of you. They will give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For this reason, the gospel was preached also to those who are dead. He's speaking spiritually here, that they might be judged according to men in the flesh, but live according to God in the spirit. And so this list that he gives us of things that we used to do or hopefully things that we're moving away from, or hopefully things that we're at least seeing what they really do in our lives and they bring nothing really to us, they add really nothing to us, hopefully we're maturing with that. We're participating with God as He is growing us up. And so think of a child that comes into the world. There are certain attributes of that child, dependence and a very immature way of living. But as that child begins to grow and mature, we have different expectations for that child. Now toddler, now elementary age, you know, school age child, now a teenager, young adult, so on and so forth, right? So if we see a 17-year-old walking around with diapers because he didn't want to get the potty training lesson at two or three, we say, oh, not only do you stink, but what happened, bro? You should yeah, I don't want to do that. I, just, I think this is better. And it's like, whoa, you're not maturing. You're not growing, right? We go from milk to meat, right? A child will go from milk to food, to substance. Why? His appetite is different. The same exact thing should be happening for the child of God, spiritually speaking. Do you have a hunger for the word? That's supernatural. You do or you don't. I really hate the word. I don't like sitting under the word. I don't understand anything about the word. When people explain it, it's just deer caught in the headlights. It's fuzzy. It's, I don't get none of it. So you're not maturing, okay? 
You've got to sit under the word. You develop an appetite for the things of God. Your faith begins to grow. Then God develops from within you a hunger for more. And you want to continue to feed on the word so that you can grow. That's maturity. If that's not happening, we're saying, wow, how long, how long you say you've been a Christian? <laughs> You're struggling with that. You're not really maturing, are you? Right? Right. And so we can see it. We can see it. The Bible is telling us that we used to do certain things, but we don't do those things. And when people look on, they might make fun of you. Ah, oh, man, you don't kick it, dude, anymore. You don't know how to party with us, dude. You're weak. You can't hang. I don't know. It's just not the same. It's just not the same. It's not that I can hang. I can hang better than you, you know, but I don't want to. I don't want to do that anymore. I just don't have a desire. God is changing my desires. That should be happening, right? So let me give you a few definitions. That revelries has the idea of an orgy, believe it or not. The Greek word was used in extra-biblical literature to refer to a band of drunken, wildly acting people swaggering and staggering through public streets, wreaking havoc. So that's what that word is, that revelries. Um, Sin is the believer. Sin in the believer is, I can't see that is a burden which afflicts him rather than a pleasure which delights him. Let me read that again. Sin in the believer is a burden which afflicts him rather than a pleasure which delights him. The Bible says sin is fun for a season, but sin and its repercussions always are inevitable, right? Because we're sowing to the flesh. The Bible declares we will reap this uh, corruption. Be not deceived. God is not mocked. We read that scripture and it's almost like this. Be not deceived. God is not going to be mocked. But it's like, be not deceived, man. Don't fool yourself. God's not going to be punked. He's telling you because he loves you. Don't stick the knife in the electrical socket because you're going to get burned. And we have this idea that God is like lightning bolt in hand, in heaven, waiting for us to get out of line so that he can shakata. Gotcha. Yeah, sucker. Got out of line. I gotcha. That's not the heart of God. Jesus died on the cross to spend eternity with us forever and ever. And then he sees us messing up and he's like, God, you suck at God. He's like, daughter, son, what are you, what are you doing? You're breaking my heart because I know that that hurts you. That's bad for you. Ah, okay, come, come to me. Let me heal you. Let me sit with you in it. Let me hurt with you. I'll hurt with you. I suffer long with you. I am patient towards you. My mercies are new every morning. And at at some point, we begin to get it. And that's why sin in the believers is a burden which afflicts him rather than a pleasure which delights him. As we sin as a Christian, it just doesn't have the same ring. It's just, ah, this is not. Good, what am I doing? Lord, help me. And I want you guys to really keep in mind the fruit and the roots because most of us deal with the fruit. Fruit, with, fruit of sin. Okay, I just got to stop doing that. All right, I got I to not hang out with those. All right, I got to do this. When we get to the root, then God begins to change those things. That's where the delight yourself in the Lord and he'll give you the desires of your heart. That's where that begins to take place. Now you're delighting yourself in the Lord and he's changing your desires to match the very things that he wants to give you. And that's an awesome cycle of just, oh, Lord, I 
That's that. Okay? And that's what God wants to bless you with. Did we read? All right, let's wrap it up. Seven. But the end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be serious and watchful in your prayers. And above all things, have fervent love for one another. For love will cover a multitude of sins. Be hospitable to one another without grumbling. As each one has received a gift, minister it to one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. If anyone speaks, let him speak as the oracles of God. If anyone ministers, let him do it as with the ability which God supplies, that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belong the glory and the dominion forever and ever. Amen. So he breaks the spiritual gifts into two categories. Two categories. Speak and, let's say, speaks, uh, ministers, speaks and ministers. Peter is implying that there are two categories of gifts, speaking gifts and serving gifts. The speaking or verbal gifts are prophecy, knowledge, word of wisdom, teaching, exhortation, evangelism, tongues, interpretation of tongues. And the serving or nonverbal gifts are leadership, helps, giving, hospitality, service, shepherding, mercy, faith, and discernment. Each of us have at least one of these gifts. We're to use the gift to glorify God. Hopefully, we're to use it definitely in the local body, but wherever we go, we can use these spiritual gifts to be able to bless and represent God. We've been blessed to be a blessing. We've been given so that we can give, okay? So that's that. That fervent love, it means to be stretched. I love, I love this word, to be strained. It is used of a runner who is moving at maximum output with taut muscles straining and stretching to the limit. It's used in chapter 1, verse 22. This kind of love requires the Christian to put another's spiritual good ahead of his own desires in spite of being treated unkindly, ungraciously, or even with hostility. And that's the thrust of the message that Peter's trying to communicate to these Christians. People aren't going to treat you nice. People are going to dog you. People are going to persecute you. How are you going to respond? Fervent love. You're going to be stretched. Your muscles are going to feel like they're going to want to rip. You're going to be so stretched. But that's where I show up. And that's where I'm able to do the supernatural. Not only to others who are watching, but in you as well. Because then you're going to see me do things that are supernatural. You can't do them in your own strength. And so that fervent love constantly flowing throughout this epistle.